0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station.
1: BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It's 6am on Tuesday, the 10th of May. I'm Shazana Mukhtar in studio today with Philip C and Wong Xiaoning.
0: Happy birthday, Bono.
1: Is it his birthday <laughs> today? <laughs> it's his
0: birthday today. Didn't
1: he do some special concert yesterday? He did. He did, he right? Basically he basically performed Ukraine. in
0: Ukraine.
2: Yeah. I Incredible, think it was a, isn't it? It was a big surprise to everyone. Well, he, it was a good birthday gift from him to, the, to Ukraine.
0: It was amazing. I think even the US President's wife, uh, First Lady, sorry, Jill Biden even went to Ukraine.
1: That's right. To and show was, solidarity and support. And this was all timed uh, nicely to coincide with Russia's victory day. They did have that massive military parade at the Red Square in Moscow yesterday. So we're going to be talking more about some of the headlines that have been coming out of that. The information or lack thereof that came out of President. Vladimir Putin's speech. We'll have that in about half an hour when we cover the global headlines. But in the meantime, we do have a lot of other conversations lined up for you from now until 10 a.m. beginning at 7.15, where we're going to be discussing the competing aims of Malaysians' urban transport policies with Mirza Ikmal Sarifuddin from Transit Malaysia. And this is on the back of news headlines about how Malaysia's Policies are very car centric. And where does that leave our public transport policies then? How can we how can we encourage both car ownership and public transport usage? I think mm. that's a big conundrum that we're trying to grapple with right now.
0: Huge challenges, you know, and at seven thirty, Bong Bong has won the gong for Philippines. We break down the results <laughs> of were the Philippines.
1: Were you just dying
0: to say that We break down the results of the Philippines election that was held yesterday with political analyst Andrea Chloe Wong.
2: Okay, and then 7.45, we're going to catch up on the latest political developments with analyst Dr. Hamid and Abdul Hamid of the Ilham Centre, who perhaps can shed some light on what's happening here in Malaysia because, as usual, we are still confused.
0: Can someone please shed some light? I'm very confused, actually. So many machinations going on. Yeah. I'm not even sure which who's, alliances are happening.
2: Who's BFF
1: anymore? Or are they not <laughs> exactly. BFFs anymore? Well, find out at 7.45. That's right. We'll discuss who's in and who's out. We'll have all this and more today on The Morning Runs. So stay with us, BFM 89.9. That was Desmond Decker telling us that you can get it if you really want. Before that, you also heard you 2 They had a cover of Everlasting Love. You're listening to The Morning Run at 6.08 in the morning on Tuesday, the 10th of May. I'm Shazana Mokhtar, together with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. Good morning. I think the Everlasting Love is a myth, but never mind. I
2: don't want to be the Debbie Downer on Too
0: late, Tuesday Shouting, You
1: have cast your downness on us all, but don't worry. The
0: blackness of my heart <laughs> rises. <laughs>
1: And unfortunately, the discussion isn't going to get too much more uplifting because we are turning our attentions to the issue of workplace bullying and mental health issues in the healthcare sector, which we did talk about yesterday on the morning brief. It seemed to resonate with a lot of you. We had a lot of uh, social media messages and WhatsApp messages coming in on this. Um, You can listen to our podcast. We spoke to clinical psychologist Dr. Chua sook Ning on the prevalence of bullying and policy measures to address this. Um, The Evening Edition crew also covered this story yesterday on Inside Stories, so do check those podcasts out. This morning, we wanted to continue the conversation by looking at the individual level and our own personal experiences with bullying and how we deal with it. So in your long careers, both of you, Phil and Chowning, have you guys um, (laughs) guys experienced bullying?
0: I've not experienced bullying in the workplace, but I did experience bullying in school. But I was very blessed and lucky because I was at three and someone bullied me. But my mom came to the school and she said she was from the CIA. And if, she kept, if this child kept on bullying my me, then I would have to report you to the FBI. And the child, I think, after that stopped bullying me. But I think that's... Wait, a,
2: wait, 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 wait. This is too good for you to continue <laughs> without us passing some comment, okay? Yes. Mrs. C, 110% admiration. Yes, yes. 110%, but your mom is the coolest ever. She is so cool. Because she came up with this CIA story, right? She came in,
0: She came up and I think after that it made me feel very confident that I could actually go ahead in the world and that there was always going to be someone backing me up.
1: Mm, you know, okay. that one thing
0: was very key. And so after that, whatever happened, you know, it was a difficult situation, I knew who I could always turn to the, CIA. I, the CIA and the <laughs> FBI. It's so easy. But not everybody has that same privilege, I felt.
1: I, I, I wonder if your experience with bullying, did that shape how you viewed bullying in the work? I, I suppose that helped in the sense that you knew you always had someone yes. whom you could turn to, even as you grew up.
0: That's right. And I think the, the, the flip side is that if I care deeply for someone and I saw someone being bullied, I would kind of know how to, I would empathize and I would know how to reach out to the person who was being bullied. Uh, but at the same time, also because of that, perhaps I also take a nonchalant view for certain things and I became I become a bystander as well when it's someone I don't really care about.
1: So that's an interesting point that you make because we are looking at this article um, from the Manchester University website and it pointed out that in a research that they did, up to 60% of employees in some places report doing nothing when witnessing bullying. Yeah. So it's not that we don't we don't recognise a bully, a bully or a bullying incident when we see it, but a lot of times we just end up not doing anything, I, I suppose for various reasons. It could be because we feel helpless, it could be because we don't think we have the power to do anything anything about the situation. Um, but what do you think? How, how should we address instances of workplace bullying that we see? I think, firstly, we always have to have a safe zone mm. or
2: someone where it's where, like, you're, you're, uh, the equivalent of a Mrs C in every office, okay? Yep. I will put it as simply as that. So, in the office, there should be established rules that if you feel that you're bullied, you can always speak to a person and make it a designated person, a neutral person ideally uh, that doesn't really have any role in your the de- team so that the person can feel, okay, this person is objective, he's calm or she's calm and she can give a fairer assessment of whether A, I'm bullied and if I am bullied, what then can I do? And these are the processes within the company because if you have that, then you feel empowered to go yep. and have a conversation. A lot of the time, people just are just so scared and then they don't know what to do, right? They're like deer in the headlights. And then what, what happens next?
0: Absolutely. I think you, I, I wear two hats, the boss hat or the peer hat. Now, as a boss, the issue here sometimes is if you're in an ivory tower sitting far away, you don't observe all this because you're not on the ground. So as a boss, you should intervene on that. So I think that's where you have to play a role. But as a peer... I'm more passive. I actually reach out to the one being bullied and check in how are they doing and perhaps even escalate it to the boss. I won't necessarily confront the bully.
1: Right. I was just saying that as a boss, you may not even uh, see those instances of bullying because everyone tends to be on their best behaviour around the boss.
0: Exactly. But you have to be on the ground and be very astute and observe all these little nuances, right? When someone is low energy around someone else, you you should be able to gauge and sense.
2: Right. But are we also then creating an environment where uh, okay, now I'm going to be the real evil bully, mm. uh, devil's advocate, advocate, right? Where a little bit of bullying does build character, does build skin, and I, you do need a little bit of it. It's just when does it become too the, much?
0: The differentiation is that versus pressure. Yeah, I think bit of pressure is good for your career. Yes, like getting people, hey, you know, move up, step up, and faster, 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 faster get, get it going. It mm. But it's also the core is the intention behind okay. it. What is the intention so behind the action you take? Meanness is. Unacceptable in my view. Yeah.
2: So then that that goes to deciding whether it is bullying or
0: not. Yeah. So the intention is core, and really whether you're doing it in the best interest of the organisation and for the person itself. Like you think the person has so much potential, you want the best for the person, so you push and pressure a bit. But you must also know the limits of that person as well if you really care for that person, right?
1: I'm wondering if bullying also has a dimension of power to it, yeah? I mean, yeah. I, does it have? Does it happen when there's a power imbalance of sorts and one, power, and one person wants to feel like they have authority over another, whether they actually do or not in the hierarchy? But this is a pretty long conversation that could go into many different tangents. Tell us what you think. Have you taken action against a workplace bully? How do you respond to situations of workplace bullying? Or does your workplace have good protocols to address this issue? You can WhatsApp us at 0 18 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're heading into some messages and when we come back we'll continue our discussion on bad behavior but this time looking at the dating sphere. Stay tuned BFM 89.9. That was Suede with New Generation. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6.20am on Tuesday the 10th of May. Now once upon a time online dating was seen as a very niche fringe way of meeting people but I think it's safe to say that it's become pretty mainstream today. It's not seen with the side eye that it once was, perhaps. But as with anything related to the online world, uh, dating apps and and their ilk have become somewhat uh, fraught, maybe. The experiences on them yeah. tend to veer on the maybe less pleasant. And that's the topic of the uh, article that we're looking at this morning on BBC Work Life. Uh, they're discussing why people behave badly on dating apps.
0: I do resonate with this article because having been on both uh, on having been on these online dating apps and also done, you know, offline dating or meeting in person, I see a huge difference between how people respond. Like, you know, in this article you mentioned, like in online dating, you'll never be told that you're too short or that I don't <laughs> like your politics.
2: No, the too short I get all the time. You get all the time, I even get online
0: all How would the they time. know it? No,
2: I mean I get it a lot in real life. <laughs> oh, you're that smaller. I'm like. And then yesterday There was a classic photo of me Where everybody in the office Was laughing That I oh. looked like an elf But never mind So I get that all we the We digress time. Yeah. We digress
0: But this is very interesting Isn't it That I find that With the online I wondered in my mind The question And correlating to the conversation About bullying Whether or not This veneer This online Creates this veneer Where we can actually Be our true selves whether it's, it's
2: the same If you ask me It's how people behave Whether it's on social media Twitter Instagram Facebook right Because you're faceless You're yeah. not face you're not seeing that person you're not having that discussion looking at that person's face and you can tell whether you've made it you made that person unhappy upset or you made him angry and then you respond in kind right but On social media, on a computer, you just type away. You're like this keyboard warrior with nothing holding you back. And then you just let it rip. And I think dating apps are the same.
0: I agree with you. And this is where if you want to have difficult conversations, don't do it on a social platform or an online or or digital format. Yes, or even WhatsApp. You know, have the conversation in person. So with respect to even dating, I wonder when someone says these things, they're just really reflecting their true selves or whether or not they are. Not able to see the response of the other person. I
1: I I I feel. I mean, I echo what you guys think in terms of um, dating apps providing that online veneer of sorts that people can hide behind. Um, it makes it difficult for both sides, I guess, to um, see what the other's intentions are. Which is why I suppose on online dating you have a lot of people who are partnered up but still swiping, for example. Yes. You have a lot of cheating going on or those who say, oh, I'm in an open relationship, but actually I'm not. Um, and it's just because it's harder to verify online um, simply due to, you know, you're not really sure what kind of information is available out there for someone.
0: Which goes to show that communication cannot only be reflected through words. It has to be through your body language. It has to be the tone of your voice. Even to so, a certain extent, your com. You're com-, com- posture, your posture mm. and such, right? All this takes into effect when you communicate with someone, which is all missing when you are only doing it through the digital platform.
2: Now, the other thing I noticed that's interesting from this article is that it highlights that women are disproportionately affected by online dating bad behaviour. So, it seems like, uh, I don't know, is it fair to say that women that men just let it rip a little bit more? I'm assuming this is, of course, men-to-women communication.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the assumption is whether, you know, the intention of why you get into the online dating mm. app, and uh, truth be told, we everyone has very different intentions, but the, the sense you always get, I think, for men, is that they're a bit more transactional, like they just want some encounter, whatever it is. Whereas for women, I think there's... And I'm I'm just also perhaps maybe outstepping myself, not knowing whether my thought reflects everybody, but maybe they are looking for something deeper and more meaningful perhaps. And that's where there's this whole huge disconnect because you're not establishing the objectives of the relationship or the intention of the communication in the first place.
2: Yeah. Uh, But you know, I think the reality of, of modern life is, and especially with COVID, right, we have to come up with I think what is acceptable for us individually, right, yeah. as we as we maneuver through this dating app uh, life, that what is acceptable to us, what is not acceptable to us, and then to shut it down when it's not, especially yeah. if you're a woman, right, to say acknowledge that, hey, I don't like this. Thank you very much, and then just—is it right or left swipe? <laughs> <laughs> I get confused. I don't want to do the wrong one, but the equivalent of saying bye bye. Yes, and uh, I think whatever it is, you can still do it diplomatically. Correct. Thank you very much. Bye bye, and, and move and, on.
0: And for me, what I do is I quickly bring it to an uh, to an offline situation, like have a coffee straight away. Swipe right.
1: Well, tell oh, us. Also,
2: swipe right—is it okay? Then I'm not doing the wrong thing. <laughs>
1: Well, tell us what you think. Have you had bad experiences while online dating? You can WhatsApp us at 0187898899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We're heading into the 6.30am News Bulletin and we'll come back with a look at global headlines after that. Here's the New Radicals with You Get What You Give to take you to the news, BFM 89.9. That was Rita and the Tiaras with Gone With The Wind. You're listening to The Morning Run at 639 in the morning on Tuesday the 10th of May. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip See, Now it's that time of the morning where we take a look at what's making headlines around the world. I see Philip is raring to go to tell us what he sees this morning.
0: I was struck by this Bloomberg article about the tensions between HSBC and its shareholder Ping An. Uh, and it seems that HSBC is now being caught in US-China crossfires because a private memo has been leaked between Ping An, which is led by Peter Ma, urging HSBC Chairman Mark Tucker to consider options including breaking the bank. Bank apart and listing its Asian operations separately on the stock market. I think for me, this is a very interesting story because they used to have a very good relationship. It's mm. clearly soured. And of course, in my mind, there's the whole broader question is, is this a question beyond business strategy, but also geopolitical geopolit- considerations here, right? As we know, HSBC is a huge bank operations, $3 trillion in valuation with huge Asian operations, but very much headquarters or a lot of management based in London. so Still the, listed there? Still listed there, right. So the big question is whether or not they should consider breaking the business up and having a separate Asian operations.
2: And for some background, Ping An is uh, one of China's largest uh, insurance companies. Yep. And uh, like you say, one of the largest shareholders of HSBC. I think that's also driven by the fact that HSBC, in terms of share price performance, hasn't been Doing stellar badly. if you take a long-term view. So you take a 10-year view, five-year view, perhaps not doing so uh, well. But staying on the topic of China, actually, I want to highlight the continued crisis in the property sector, especially with the indebted companies. So earlier last year, it was Evergrande, right? That was just dominating headlines. Today, the headline is Sunak. Sunak is the fourth largest developer in China and apparently they are running out of time for the bond payment. Uh, They've got 30-day grace period to make $29.5 29.5 million only, which is actually quite small, uh, small figure for when you consider a developer this size. Uh, dollar bond interest payment, which ends on. Wednesday, and this could then cross trigger cross default on other offshore debts to the tune of 7.7 billion of dollar notes outstanding.
0: Well, it explains why this is such an important story. Real estate investments account for 15% of China's GDP, including construction and residential property. But if you include upstream and downstream, property as a whole accounts for 25% mm. of China's GDP. So this is really important news, you know. And how long will this continue?
2: Yeah, and I think the other worry is that, you know, for most Individuals. Property is your largest store of value, right? It gives you a sense of your net wealth. So, if there's a contagion effect across Chinese property, um, Chinese residents, Chinese, of course, are not going to be very happy. Added to that is, even as we speak now, the new Singapore Straits Times highlights that Beijing is tightening curbs around the city ordering millions of people to work from home and stay within the districts which amounts to a de facto lockdown. So the point here is that you've got pressure in terms of how you feel from a net wealth perspective and then you've got pressure from the fact that COVID-19 is uh, hanging over you and you can't even leave your homes.
0: Well, staying on the COVID-19 theme, I think President Xi recently reaffirmed the importance of the uh, COVID-0 policy Uh, but we've also heard mixed results. I think people always say the lockdowns have been not so good but we've heard that even certain targeted lockdowns in Shenzhen were able to kind of maintain economic growth and output. So it hasn't been all doom and gloom, to be honest, in China. But these lockdowns, of course, create nervousness. But I think the Chinese government is trying to navigate quite carefully to make sure it doesn't impact the economy so much.
1: It is an interesting um, reversal of uh, fortunes for China, though, considering that this time for them, uh, you know, in 2021, they were doing really great. They were, you know, opening up. Everybody was, it was life as normal. How the fortunes have turned. Um, Turning my attention to something else that That happened yesterday, May 9th, uh, which is Victory Day in Russia. It's the day commemorating um, the Russian defeat of Nazi Germany back in World War II. So all eyes were on President Vladimir Putin's speech um, during the military parade in Moscow. Everyone was thinking, is he going to give some kind of indication on how they're going to um, strategize in the Ukraine war? Uh, The short answer is no. He didn't give any sort of new uh, signal of sorts. So no formal declaration of war, No formal declaration of war, he didn't even really mention the word special military operations either. But what he did do was try to draw parallels with World War II to the current situation, really trying to, I suppose, bolster his uh, his motivations for the war. But uh, whether where he's going next, I think that's still the open question.
0: That's right. I think he, he I kind of waxing lyrical about the spiritual unity between the different cities of Russia, Ukraine and Belarus in how they basically built forces together to fight uh, the, the 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 impending Nazism that was ke- coming through in. Th- Throughout the region, right. So I think that was his message, like perhaps to show that it's beyond just the physical construct of Russia, but that actually there's a broader mm. goal between all these different uh, communities. I mean,
1: outside of Russia, that message pro- does not resonate. Yes. Uh, frankly, yeah. I think we heard a lot. We saw a lot of uh, pushback from other leaders of other countries. But if you want to understand more why Victory Day is so important to Russia and President Putin in particular, you can check out the Pressing Matters podcast. I spoke to Alexei Muravyev of Curtin University yesterday. He gave a lot of interesting historical context to this situation uh, It is 6.45 in the morning We're heading into a quick break and when we come back we'll take a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals Stay tuned, BFM 89.9 Fleetwood Mac with Little Lies You're listening to The Morning Run I'm Shazana with Shaoning and Philip It's 6.49am on Tuesday the 10th of May We're taking a look at what's making the front pages of our newspapers and online portals What do you have in front of you there, Phil?
0: Well, I think for me, the, the the one that I think struck many people was the 1MDB mismanagement case where Muhammad Baki was on the stand and he mentioned Najib never bothered to respond to SMSs over 1MDB mismanagement. Also the headline that he saw Jolo quite frequently in Datuk that, Free that Najib's offices at the time.
1: There's a lot of headlines coming out of uh, what happened at trial yesterday. I think also uh, revelations about how the um, Najib Razak family spent their holiday time in, in Dubai, very luxurious in yachts. Um, Not the really Middle East, right? It was like South of France.
2: I do believe the, the edge... CO Morning Brief highlights like where they've been and the entourage that followed along. It's not just the family, right? So as many as 17 people, 20 people go on these holidays and includes even um, helpers, by the way.
0: Good life, good life.
2: Good life, indeed. Uh, Okay, so I've got uh, the Straits Times in front of me and it's about floods. So apparently DBKL is going to make life a little bit easier because we seem to have all these flash floods. So Ikram is to study city's drainage system, City Hall launches Action Plan.
0: That's right. I think they've said that uh, the mayor had to stream Idris that there are 14 interim measures of the flash flood action plan f- that will be that have been implemented immediately. But as you said, Shauning uh, Ikram is also doing the broader structural study to do take the place. And I think we all know why this has to happen because in the past six months we have been covering the amount of flash floods that have taken place in the region and Klang Valley. Quite a lot, and personally, my brother's car was also submerged. Oh by that. dear! Really? Yes. Oh
2: no! Well, uh, reminder to everyone: please take the optional insurance, right? Absolutely. Because a lot of people assume that it's covered by insurance, but it's not. It's an add-in, so it's not an opt-out. It's an add-in. Add so in. pay for it because, at the the rate uh, floods are happening,
1: it's almost. It's it sounds like it's worth it. Yeah, until
0: the uh, until the premiums go up.
1: Indeed, indeed. Uh, DBKL says that they are spending about 10 million ringgit for these interim measures, these 14 interim measures. The proof is really going to be in the pudding in the sense, will this be enough to mitigate future floods that happen? Because there are going to be more floods. We are going to see more heavy rains. Um, But uh, I guess... Is the is the our authorities acting quickly enough to address this issue? Um, we'll be watching for sure. We will be keeping tabs on this. What other headlines do you have in front of you?
0: Well, I have a, a wonderlust because I will be heading to Bangkok for a short weekend break, and I think one of our co-presenters here will be also taking a bit of a break to Who is it? Who is, who is it, is it uh, to Europe? London, chowning. <coughs> so, uh, but <laughs> both of us are very fortunate because we've got our passports. Unfortunately, there are not many who have been so that lucky because. Pass- Passport officers are coping with extremely high demand. That's according to the Star newspaper across the board. You're seeing queues snake all around to the point that passport officers have extended hours up to 6pm and 10pm in some states.
2: Well, a lot of people would have, I mean, and I don't blame them, right, during the last two, two, two and a half, three years, you're thinking, why should I bother renewing my passport? I have to pay for it and I clearly can't travel. And suddenly borders will open and there's a, you know, there's a big mad dash for it. Everyone having cab- cabin fever and wanting to travel. And related somewhat to the Passport debacle. Well, is Air Asia? I think uh, this is on the back of a tweet where an MP complained that his flight was delayed by Air Asia. And I think I'm probably going to be fair to say all airlines are suffering some form of delays. There's a lot of travel, a lot of people travelling, and um, there's also probably a lot of issues with, uh, I would say, timetables. Mm. So Schedule. uh, schedules—that's the right word. So the Domestic Trade and Consumer Affairs Ministry, and this is according to Malaysian Reserve, which is now just purely an online paper, uh, said they will conduct investigations on Air Asia's flight delay involving various domestic destinations. So they will work with the
1: Ministry of Transport to resolve this problem and ensure that it does not continue. I mean, these hiccups aren't surprising, yeah. I think after two years of the aviation sector being under lockdown, being pretty much grounded, the fact that now you've got high demand uh, coupled with also high cost pressures and just the, the fact of having to reschedule everything bring all your people mm. back there's a lot to overcome I guess yeah. to get things to move smoothly again and hopefully things uh, do happen like that but sooner rather than later
2: but I like the fact that the minister has reminded our consumers what their rights are right this is important so he added that airline users have the right to claim for compensation of course this is subject to several factors including meals phone calls internet access for delays of two hours or more hotel accommodation and transportation for delays of five hours or more Mm. as well as a full refund or alternative alternative flight if that is cancelled but Mm. of course there are cases where this is not applicable like if there's a Safety risks or there's uh, erratic weather.
0: That's right. And you can even submit your formal complaint to the Malaysian Aviation Commission, MAFCOM, uh, to basically manage. If if you if you feel that the airlines have affronted you, I think as you say, right. This many people are very angry because you just saw about a couple of weeks back people complaining about these high ticket prices. Coupled with that, then you have your schedules being affected. I think people. Tempest must be surely frayed.
1: Absolutely. Um, Other news, we've got time for maybe a quick other headline. Can I just update, I suppose, uh, progress on the anti-hopping law? Uh, We've got an article coming out of Malaysia Kini where the uh, Parliamentary Select Committee on the proposed anti-hopping law uh, has said that it has two meetings left before it will table recommendations on the draft legislation. Uh, This is according to committee member Wilfred Madius Tangau.
2: Yeah, very quickly, we all heard yesterday news about DAP MP for Bangi, is it Bangi? Uh, on Ken Meng saying that he's not going to seek a uh, nomination for re-election at GE15. The Malaysia Kini now says, w- the headline is, Will Pua be next to sit out GE15? And of course, he is the DAP member for Damansara and uh, Tony Pua.
0: It struck me that both of them were key architects of the MOU.
2: Yeah, which, of course, I think for the grassroots, at some grassroots, at DAP were, we're, not happy. were not happy about it, right? Felt that their hands were tight.
1: All right. Well, uh, all things that we're going to keep an eye on, it's 6.55 in the morning. We're heading into the 7 a.m. News Bulletin. And when we come back, we'll take a look at how global markets closed overnight. Taking you to the news is The Beatles with Get Back, BFM 89.9.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast.